0: You are listening to Buy the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right.
1: This is Alan Griffith. Welcome to episode 110 of Buy the Book. If you've been with us, you know that we're talking about a term found in Scripture. It's a two word term the faith. The faith. And we have suggested to you that that term defines. Christianity in this sense, that the faith, Christianity, true Christianity, involves the belief of certain doctrines, and we've spent some time talking about them. But secondly, the faith, true Christianity, also involves a manner of life. Belief and practice go together. Belief and practice are what forms the testimony of true Christianity. Our problem in this day is that there are those who profess to believe the right things, but their life doesn't match up. And we have talked about this matter in uh, a number of sessions and I want to go on and, and talk about it more today. I want to drive it home if I can. And I want to do that by challenging you to remember this. And it's hard sometimes to draw the line, but we're not talking about law. And sometimes when we talk about standards and values, people want to say, well, that's law-ish. You know, you're trying to go back under the law. Well, God did away with the law. And we're not under the law, and I'm sure glad we are not. But at the same time, God is looking for people who are sold out to Him. And we are discussing uh, what that means. So God isn't looking for law, uh, a list of 5,000 things, thou shalt, thou shalt not. But I'll tell you what, God is looking for heart, God is looking for
0: surrender. God is looking for holiness. God is looking for purity, devotion, character, commitment, spirituality.
1: Those are the things that God is looking for. Those are the things that God wants in us. The church is in trouble. The Lord Jesus said that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And somewhere along the line, people have gotten the idea that the best way to be a testimony for Christ, whether it be in the church or in life or whatever it might be, is to lower our standards, to set aside our values so that we can say to the world, oh, listen, you know, we're just like you, you're just like us, but you need Jesus. But you see, the message of the Bible is when you get saved, your life changes. And again, we are called to be godly. We are called to be spiritual. We are called to be holy, which means to be separate. We are called, like it or not, to be different from the world. And unfortunately, the church today seems to be more and more worldly. In fact, too often, professing Christianity is making a mockery of biblical Christianity. Now, we were told these things would happen. It's getting worse and worse. We're told in the Bible that things would get worse and worse. And we're told it would be in the context not just of the world, which, boy, is really going downhill, the world today very much as it was in the days of Noah. Uh, Every imagination of the thought, evil and wicked continually. But in the midst of that, here's the church. It's supposed to be different. It's supposed to be this testimony, but too often we are failing to be what we ought to be. And again, it was prophesied. It was told that this would happen, and we're living in the day that it is happening. So I want you to turn, if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we are not going to go through this with every term defined and explained, but I want to spend some time here to kind of give us this picture of what the Bible said would happen in the church and then to recognize the fact that it is happening in the church. If you have your Bible open to 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me read to you just the first verse to get us started. Paul said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, the term last days could be used in different ways because there are various ages and and, uh, plans of God that that come to an end. What's being talked about here is what is called the church age. It's the time of existence of the church that will end with the rapture. The church started some 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. It has grown. It has been built by Christ. It has had its times of being strong and powerful and wonderfully used of God. But now we seemingly are in the last days of the church. I believe that. And we are told by Paul that in the last days of the church age, perilous, difficult times would come. And it would come in the lives of those who profess to be saved. Now, the truth is, you don't know who's saved, and I don't know who's saved. You don't know that. You only know that for yourself. I hope you're saved. But you and I don't know for sure about anybody else. But Paul is talking to us here about a a testimony of the professing church, and he's concerned about it. He's going to talk about it. But before we look, beginning in verse 2 and following, and some of the characteristics of the age I want you to look down to verse 8, where Paul, in concluding this discussion, says, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. I think we pointed out before, we believe these are the magicians of Egypt that stood against Moses. When Moses came and cast his rod down, it became a serpent. These phonies with... Uh, Satanic power, perhaps, cast their rods down and they became serpents. Moses' serpent ate those serpents. But here was an incredible picture of the power of God against the power of Satan. And here's what Paul says, applying some of that to our time, to the end of the church age. He says, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also, who are the these? The these are people in the church professing believers, some teachers, some not, but it's the testimony of the church of the last times, and here's what Paul says about them, so do these also resist the truth. You and I need to know the truth. We need to know doctrinal truth, but we also need to know the truth of what it means to live for Christ as a Christian. But Paul said these of the last days would resist the truth just like Janus and Jambres did. There they saw Moses, the servant of God. They saw the power of God, and they resisted it. They rejected it. Paul again says, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, they're not thinking right, they're thinking wrong. And then he says, listen to it, reprobate, that means rejected, concerning.
0: Here's our term, the faith,
1: the faith. In the end times, there would be people professing to be Christians who in reality would be resisting the truth, not able to come to a knowledge of the truth, and in fact, reprobate concerning the faith. Now again, what is the faith? It is a combination of two things. It is a combination of belief and practice and those two put together form the testimony of bible christianity they are both extremely important now we recognize that there are people who are saved they have believed right but they are not living right and that's what we're concerned about now none of us are perfect we're all sinners we know that but we need to have a heart for what god describes in scripture as the way Christians should live and the fact that there are ways that Christians should reject. And I would tell you, we are dealing in a time where there's a lot of trouble in the professing church. Should marriages
0: break up among God's people?
1: The answer is no. God ordained marriage to be a relationship between one man and one woman for life. But marriages are breaking up in record numbers. Are Christian families supposed to collapse? No, but they are. We're not producing generations of young people who are growing up and on fire for God the way they should be. As a matter of fact, many, many times, the collapse of standards and values are coming from second and third generation Christians. Their parents got saved. Their parents' lives changed, but their parents failed in rearing their children to adopt those same biblical values. And now you have young people again, often second or third generation who are rebelling against the teachings of scripture When it comes to the things that we talked about, they're rebelling against surrender and holiness and purity and character and commitment. Let me ask you this. Should worship be replaced by entertainment? Because I want you to know, and you probably do know, a whole lot that goes on in the name of church services is more entertainment than worship. The term worship comes from an old English term, meaning to ascribe worth. When we come together on a Lord's Day morning and meet together as the church, we are going to sing, we are going to pray, we're going to fellowship. There's going to be the preaching of the Word of God. But the whole purpose is that we have gathered together to ascribe worship and honor and worth to God. Now, what we've done is we have made church very, very man centered. But it's supposed to be God centered. Should there be sweet fellowship? Yes. People should be with each other and enjoy that time. But we don't come together for entertainment, we come together to ascribe worth to God. And then we're dealing today more than ever, and again, I'm not trying to establish law. But more than ever, we are dealing with Christians who have a worldly appearance and a worldly dress, and they don't seem to recognize the difference of what they are and what they should be if you follow what the scriptures say. For instance, a simple term, not law, just a statement made by the Bible. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. Now, you can wrestle with that if you want to, but that statement is in the the scriptures. The Bible talks about modesty for women. You can argue about what that means, but it's there. And these are the kinds of things we need to come to grips with and say, this is what I find in the Bible. What does this mean to me and the way I am supposed to live? And we made reference to worship. Well, there is a failure of faithfulness in church today, fewer and fewer and fewer people are going to church at all, even though they might profess to be a Christian, or if they go, they might go on a Sunday morning, but probably not to the Bible study of Sunday school, probably not, unfortunately, to the evening service, probably not when we gather together again for prayer. There seems to be
0: a lack of spiritual purpose.
1: Why am I here? Why are you here? If you are a born-again Christian, you know you're on your way to heaven. Why are you here? What's it all about? What should life be for us? How should we live? Well, the Bible teaches us, again, there is a life that becomes the gospel. We saw that in Philippians. There is a, a way of living that is becoming to sound doctrine. We saw that in Paul's writings to Titus. Well, here Paul in Second Timothy is writing to Timothy and exposing some of the mess that would come in the last days of the church. I believe we're in the last days, and I believe we are seeing the things that Paul lists. And again, It's the last days for the church. It's not, what will the world be like in the last days for the church? The question is, what will professing Christianity be like in the last days of the church? Well, we're going to pick up in verse 2, and again, I'm not going to go through all of this uh, statement by statement or even verse by verse, but I want to point out a few things And again, uh, my challenge for myself and for you is not, okay, what's what's the law say about some of this? No, the challenge is, where am I when it comes to my heart for God? Notice
0: in verse 2, Paul said this, for men, people, shall be lovers of their own selves. Interesting statement. Self-centered,
1: selfish, all about me. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Well, if you're a lover of yourself and you're putting yourself first, you're not putting God first. If you're a man, you're probably not putting your wife first. Parents maybe not putting your children where they ought to be. No, men are all about themselves. That's dangerous. That's tragic. The next term is covetous, which is literally
0: a lover of money. The church
1: in the last days will be focused on their love for money, wealth, often unfortunately not using it for the glory of God, but using it just for their own purposes, and they love it, and they want it, and they'll sacrifice for it. And of course, that's what this term love is all about to be lovers of ourselves and and lovers of money is, hey, I'm going to sacrifice for these things. And then, of course, if you get down to verse 4,
0: here's the term lovers again. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. I can't speak for other
1: people. I'm concerned generally that you don't find people who seem to be sold out to God. A lover of God, putting God first in their lives, serving him, sacrificing for him. Let me pick up a few other terms in in, uh, this
0: section of verses. It says in verse 2 that... uh, children would be disobedient to parents. That's a tragedy.
1: It speaks of family collapse. It isn't so much a condemnation of the children. I'll guarantee you all children will be disobedient to their parents unless they are trained, unless they are trained and taught according to the Bible. So, this statement, disobedient to parents, is really a reflection on the family unit. It's a reflection on parental failure, perhaps a reflection on parents who don't care enough to invest in their children, instead doing their own thing. But isn't that a testimony of the professing church today? Are Christian families different where young people are obedient? and courteous, and kind, and respectful, you don't see enough of that.
0: Disobedient to parents. Uh, Verse 2 is where we are. It says unthankful. You know,
1: it's a dangerous thing when you believe you deserve more. If you and I don't appreciate what God's given us, and we're just pushing for more, and more, and more, and more, and we don't take time to thank God for what he's given us, recognizing again we don't deserve anything, uh, we're in trouble. I saw a sign the other day along the road. I don't know if I can remember it exactly, but it says something like this. What if you woke up today, and the only things that you had were the things for which you gave thanks yesterday? The idea being that it's easy for us to go through life and we just take it for granted that we have things, we deserve things, never giving consideration to the fact we do not deserve anything. What we have has been graciously granted to us by God. But this text says in the last times, men will be unthankful. And the next statement, the next word, unholy, unholy. The term separation is not popular in the church today. Uh, There was a time when it was, we had to make decisions as to what we were going to do, who we were going to be involved with, uh, what other churches we might work with, whatever it might be. And the challenge of holiness was there. And the challenge was you need to be separate from the wrong and separated unto the good. You need to be separated from the ungodly and separated unto God. The term church means ecclesia. The Greek term means called out ones. That's what the church is. Called out, different.
0: But where's holiness? Verse three uses the term without natural affection. Where's the affection of a husband for
1: his wife and a wife for her husband? Where's the natural affection of parents for their children and the natural affection of brothers and sisters loving one another? But also where is the natural affection of the mother for her unborn child? Where is the natural affection of a man for a woman, a woman for a man, not a man for a man, which is unnatural, or a woman for a woman, which is unnatural. And I want to tell you something. These perversions are found finding a place in professing Christianity. We are in deep, deep trouble.
0: Verse 5 says this,
1: having a form of godliness. That's uh, churchianity. That's going through the motions, but denying the power thereof. You know, a church that does not really have the power of God, a church that is run from the standpoint of human opinion, human strength, uh, human planning, human desire, it's all human. That's a dangerous place. But there are many churches that have practice of worship or church meeting. They're going through the motions, but where's the power of God? I had the privilege not too, too long ago to be preaching in a church. At the end of the service, I gave an invitation for someone to come forward and, and get saved, raise their hand, indicate they need to be saved, respond, and so on. And I'm grateful that a lady that day uh, professed to come to know Christ. Somebody counseled with her, met with her. She prayed, trusted Christ as her Savior. One of the deacons after the service said, I cannot remember the last time an invitation was given in this church. Now, they've been without a pastor for some time, uh, but he couldn't remember the last time whenever that might have been, that an invitation had been given. Listen, why do we come together? Uh, Why aren't people being saved? Why aren't people being invited to be saved? Now, there are some churches that preach salvation messages every week, and uh, there's no depth to the preaching and teaching. There's got to be a balance. But I want to tell you something. People should be getting saved in our churches regularly. And of course, we should be out witnessing so the people are getting saved outside of church and then coming to church. But you know what? There is a
0: form of godliness, but where's the power? The power of
1: God. Interesting that verse 6 goes on, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But Paul said this, For of this sort are they which creep into houses... And lead captive, silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. One preacher years ago said this: "The silly women are silly women of both sexes." And what he was trying to say is that uh, you know, silly women are those who uh, don't think right, uh, they don't act right, uh, they're light-hearted, uh, light-headed. But then he went on to say, that's not just what some ladies might be like. A lot of people can be like that. And the point is that there is there's a, a cheap Christianity where people are subject to deception. Unfortunately, the testimony of the woman takes us all the way back to Genesis, where Eve was subject to deception. And unfortunately, that's the testimony of many, many women today. You know, there should not be women preachers. There should not be women pastors. If women are teaching, they ought to teach other women and children. But women, I want to say it kindly and carefully, should not be in leadership roles in the church. And there are people who are looking for those, male or female, who are subject to deception, and they are led away, and they are laden with sins, and they continue to live with diverse lusts, and all that, all that is wrong, and the cheapening of Christianity today, is often found in this idea, that it's okay if you sin, because God understands. Uh, God gets us. God is not narrow-minded. God understands our uh, our sinfulness and and is willing for it to be let go. Now listen. God does understand. He understands our weakness and our failures. And praise the Lord, God loves us. But God does not accept and tolerate wickedness and sinfulness with the idea that, oh, I understand, you know, it's okay if you live that way. That's not God. That's not Christianity. Verse 7 says of some of this crowd, they are ever learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the truth that Paul is talking about is doctrinal truth and then living truth how you live as a Christian. God teaches us those things. Those things are being ignored. We have a Christianity today that too often is worldly, and it has become acceptable to not live a separated, holy, godly life. Something wrong with that. So again, I'm trying to avoid the lawishness. Thou shalt this, thou shalt not that. I'm trying to get You and me to think about this. God wants our heart. God wants our surrender. God wants us on our knees before Him. God wants us committed to holiness and purity. That's what God wants. After saying all these things and warning Timothy about the last times and how people would live, listen to what Paul then said to Timothy in verse 10, because this is what we're after. This is what God wants. He said this, But, Timothy,
0: thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity or love, my patience. That's endurance.
1: Paul says, Timothy, contrary to all of that that I just talked about in the earlier verses, I want to remind you of my life, my testimony. That's what Paul's saying. He's not saying it in some bragging way. He's trying to say, Timothy, I want to tell you what Christianity is supposed to be like. And so you have fully known how I have lived. You have known my life and testimony. You know what I believe. You know how I live. You know my purpose and my faith and my long suffering and my love and my endurance for the things of God.
0: Where is that kind of Christianity today? we need it. We need it. God bless you till next time.